Duo of Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. Those two are like a tag team, you know. Come with me to Southside of Chicago. Hi, this is Jim Tomey, and the best White Sox talk is on Locked On Sox podcast with Tanny and Herb. Hello, and welcome back to Locked On Sox. This is Herb Lawrence coming to you. After a great, great victory over the Tigers, a sweep, in fact, nine to nothing over the Detroit Tigers. The White Sox are winning their fifth in a row. They're on a roll. I wish we could play the Tigers every single game because they've been feasting on those bums. Again, this is Herb Lawrence. With me, as always, is Chris Tannehill. We love when the White Sox win games. Chris Tannehill, how are you feeling right now? Oh, doing great. But what about my guy, Bill Walton? The White Sox win. Print the banner. Line up the parade. Michigan Avenue on the Studge Turkle Bridge, Division Street. Let's go. Man, what a nice, fun game for the White Sox today. They are 9-0 winners, winners of five straight. They beat the Tigers today, and it's the first four-game sweep of the Tigers since September of 2005, my friend, the year of our Lord Ozzie Guillen. Uh, I mean, where do we begin today? I mean, the Sox are now 15-11 and 11 on the year, and Fangraphs has them at a 90% shot at making the playoffs. I don't like jinxing it. I, I know if you're like me, I don't like saying it. You don't like hearing it, but just, we're just here to give you the facts, friends. Uh, but Lucas Giolito got the ball today, and he was looking to rebound off that poor art outing against the Cardinals. He had James McCann out there with him as his catcher today, and we'll get to that in a second. I'm sure Sox Twitter was very happy about that. So he shuts down the Tigers in the first inning, one, two, three, right in the middle. But then the Sox turn it over to the offense, and they are trying to build on what they've been building on all week long, and they certainly did just that. After Tim Anderson grounded out to lead off the game for the Sox, things picked up from there. Yoan Moncada drew a walk. Jose Abreu doubled. Eloy drew a walk. Edwin Encarnacion and his parrot each drew a walk, and then Moncada scores, making it one to nothing. The turning point early on in this game, Nomar Mazara comes up, and it's already one nothing. but he comes up, and he comes through with an at-bat that you couldn't argue changed the dynamic of the entire ball game. He's got a 10-pitch at bat, foul ball, foul ball, ball, one and two, another foul ball, foul ball, foul ball, foul ball, a ball, another foul ball, and then he hits a, a, a weak ground ball. But I don't mind. It could have been a double play. I don't mind the result in that situation. It does bring a run in, but we don't mind the outcome but we love the process, Herb. We talked about this just last night with his at-bats. Mm-hmm. So let's get into that at-bat a little bit. What did you like out of Nomar Mazzara there? Usually a guy gets down 0-2, and he's doubting himself, especially a guy like Nomar Mazzara who hasn't had the year that he would want or none of us White Sox would want. And I was feeling that dread. I was like, man, 0-2 already, man? Come on. This guy just walked the yard, 
and he's late on a 94 mile per hour fastball to start the at bat. I'm like, how are you late? Then he just battles. He battles and fouls off every ball. Tough pitches. And they're playing him, of course, in a, sh- a modified shift. And all we wanted there is some type of contact. Not sure why the guy who got the ball, I don't know if there's a third baseman there, didn't just tag Eloy, who was running straight at him, and then continue the play for a double play. But contact was what was needed there. A little harder contact would have been preferred, but... After being down 0-2 and battling the pitcher for 10 pitches, getting up Turnbull's pitch count in that first inning, who had already walked a couple of guys, three guys in fact, was a turning point for Nomar Mazzara. I feel a little bit better about his at-bats, better about his season after these last couple of days where he's battling. And you might say it's the Tigers, they're not ready, it's not the same level. They're major league players. And Nomar Mazzara, I give him crap for when he struggles. I got to give him credit for battling in that bat and making the inning continue to the next batter, which was James McCann, who got an RBI single, and we're good to go. So here's why it matters. So Turnbull only lasts two innings, and this they weren't they weren't bullpenning today, but that's what they ended up doing. So Turnbull is out of the game after two innings, and he he throws sixty pitches, but it's because of that Mazzara at bat that, that bat that changes the 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 dynamic of the whole game there, and. Now, all of a sudden, you have a bottom feeder team going through a rebuild that has to bullpen the rest of their way, and it pretty much ended how you thought it would end. The Sox poured on at that point. At that point, it's only 2 nothing. but then former Tiger James McCann comes through, driving in Eloy, making it 3 to nothing. and then, of course, in the fourth inning, Tim Anderson belts his sixth home run of the year. Herbie, you talk about hot. Tim Anderson, over the last seven games, nine hits, four home runs, and seven RBI. Just what the doctor ordered. He loves that Tiger pitching. Before that Tiger series, we were talking about how lifeless the team looked, and they've energized them. They've ener- he, Tim has energized the team, and the Tigers have energized Tim. Let's carry this on to the Cubs series, but you can't ask for more than what Tim Anderson has done in these last couple days. He is the best player on this team right now, bar none, not close, and that's a surprise. After we spent this whole year talking about Yoan Mankata, talking about Eloy might be the guy, Luis Robert might be the guy. I know Tim Anderson came into with this year as a with a chip on his shoulder from guys that didn't believe in him, and he just continues to grind at bats and keeps on hitting. And I'm I'm shocked that he's this good. I was gonna say, did you ever think we'd be saying that Tim Anderson is the best player on a, on a Sox team? That's that's now uh, above 500 and 90% chance of making the playoffs. Did you ever think we'd be here saying this? No, if I thought if Tim Anderson was the best player on your team, you would maybe be in trouble. Like not like think about the year before 2018. And if you said, Hey, Tim Anderson is going to be the best player on a playoff white Sox team. You'd be like, wow, everybody else like, failed? Oh, steroids, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's like, but this man has turned himself into an offensive machine that cannot be stopped. At the top of the lineup, he's the catalyst, like we talked about. And it's a great surprise and a welcome surprise. Continue. He doesn't have to be this hot to be the best player on the team or to be the catalyst that he has been. I don't expect him to continue doing this. But keep on proving me wrong, Tim. If you're this dude... Fuck it. Do it. Be this guy. I'll love it. You know, to, he can't be stopped. Yeah. So the sounds of the ghetto boys. Here's a 3-1 to Kai Ospo. Uh, so <laughs> Eloy in the eighth inning. Eloy, 
a little Jimenez on Jimenez crime there in the eighth inning, but Eloy comes through uh, hitting his eighth homer of the year, 396 feet, exit velo of only 98.4. Hmm, Garbage. It could be, yeah, what a trash. Trade him back uh, so he can be with the Cubs this weekend. But, yeah, you, you love to see it. All part of a nine-run effort for the White Sox. We'll get into Lucas Giolito's outing and preview the Cubs series after a brief word from our friends at Built Bar, the best-tasting protein bar ever. Listen, I've had a lot of protein bars in my life. I struggle with eating right at times, and I'm always looking for ways to curb my sweet tooth, and Built Bar is the best option for me by far to indulge in a delicious snack and without the guilt. And when I say delicious flavors, you already know about our favorites around here. You've got German chocolate, peanut butter, banana bread, mint brownie, double chocolate. But Built Bars are now even delicious-er. Listen to these new flavors they've got cooking. Caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. Built Bars are healthy. They're great if you're a health-conscious guy or gal on the go. And it's great if you want to lose or maintain weight while indulging in those delicious treats I just talked about. Built Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high in protein, and high in fiber. And they're great if you're on the keto diet. And right now, Built Bars got a couple special great offers for you Locked On White Sox listeners. Right now, they've got a free cooler with purchase while supplies last. And if you go to BuiltBar.com and use our promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get $10 off your next order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. All right, so Herbie, Lucas Giolito today. My gosh, seven innings pitched, three hits, no runs, one walk, 13 strikeouts. You could argue maybe his best outing as a White Sox as far as the, the numbers go. I know he had two complete games last year, but 13 strikeouts. Certainly his best outing of the season. What did you see? What did you like out of Lucas Giolito today? The thing I saw was when he ran into trouble, I believe it was the fourth inning, he got loaded to the bases, one out, and he battled. And he struck out the next two guys. And then he came off the mound being that Lucas Giolito. Like, MF, yeah, I got this done, you know, let's go. Like he did before, I think, in the Sunday night game versus the Indians. That's the guy I need to see. That's the guy I need to hear uh, your leader of your team, you know, going through adversity and then coming on the other side of it, making it with no runs scored. And then in his post-game interview, him and James McCann said he knew that he was at the end of his pitch count. And so what they did was James McCann called nine straight change-ups. Nine straight. Didn't shake him off and threw those nine straight change-ups. McCann later said that he did that because if he was a hitter, knowing that Lucas was at the end of his pitch count, he'll be looking dead red and looking to serve something over to right field or hit it over the fence on Lucas Giolito. So he's like nine straight changeups. If you're going to hit him, you're going to hit him on this pitch and you're going to have to sit back on a changeup, which no one did. And he got the job done. So that's a very dynamic duo right there. Him and James McCann. Working symbiotic, you know, it seems like McCann feeds off of what Giolito's bringing and Giolito feeds off of what McCann's bringing. So I'm a guy that says you pitch to whoever's behind the plate. But Lucas, even in the postgame interview, said that he loves pitching to McCann. He didn't necessarily say he doesn't like pitching to Gio, to uh, Yasmani Grandal, but I would think he was intimating it. Yeah, we're going to get to that in a second, but just some more fun stuff about Giolito's outing today. You know, he was Verlander-esque today, the way he finished the game, because he comes out after seven, but in the seventh inning, he strikes out the side on his way out, hitting 97 on the gun in his 110th pitch, 
which is just amazing. You know, he, learning how to pitch at the big league level, you know, he's not a finished product by any means. So, it, like, seeing stuff like that, it's always like whenever you see a young pitcher all of a sudden realize, hey, they can save a little something for later on, or, hey, you know, it's, not, you know, finish strong sometimes. You know, you, you, know, you said he had a rocky – uh, portion of the game earlier, but he battled through it and he finished strong and you certainly love to see it. And he is only the third White Sox pitcher over the last 50 years to pitch a game with at least seven innings pitched, 13 strikeouts and no runs allowed. The other two guys, Herbie, you want to take a crack at it? One of them's pretty obvious because he was here recently and He's the here. He's the reason why we're here today, talking about this team's success. Christopher Sale. Christopher Sale. Yes. And who's the other guy? I, I think we'll be here all night. I never would have gotten this. I'm gonna go with. So we're not gonna know the guy. So maybe I wasn't watching at this time. I'm gonna go with Britt Burns. <laughs> no, no Britt Burns. No Hoyt Wilhelm. Uh, no Lamar Hoyt. None of the Hoyts. Jason Beret. Oh, <laughs> yeah. The old Fashball. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, but pretty impressive numbers there when you look at it over the last 50 years for the White Sox. He's in pretty good company there, but also the Sox should probably be better. They should probably have more guys, but it's a testament. You know, they've had a lot of great pitchers over the years, and to think they've only had the three guys do that, it's pretty amazing. All right, so let's let's get into it here with the home McCann situation. It's a very difficult situation. Um Grandal's hurt now, so it makes it a little easier to, to to deal with the results and the process, and you don't have to think about it much. But I'm trying to look ahead here. I'm trying to put on put on my Karnak hat. I'm trying to look into my White Sox crystal ball, and I'm trying to envision a scenario where the Sox are playing the the, the Twins or the Indians late in the year. You mentioned they have how many games uh, at the end of the year against teams with above 500 records? Their last 15 are teams that are going to go to the playoffs of, as of current. The team that in that's in there that's under five hundred is the Cincinnati Reds, but that's a good ass team. Yeah, so they're going to be in a spot where they're going to have to win a game because it could mean the difference of 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 being a a third seed or a second seed. You know, they're gonna they're gonna be in a spot where Lucas Giolito's going to have his turn to pitch, and hopefully everyone's healthy at the time and the Sox are playing at full strength. But you're going to be in a situation where it's going to be a topic: who gets to catch for Giolito that day. You have Grandal, who has still had some success with Giolito already early in the season. We talked about that. I think it was last week on the podcast. We broke down Lucas's game log, and you know it's it's not an impossible feat. I mean, it was only the second start of the year where Grandal had Giolito looking pretty good back there. So, do you go with Grandal, who gives you the bat and excellent pitch framing abilities, keeps the runners at bay on the base pass, or do you go with all of a sudden what Lucas Gilito seems to want is his personal catcher in James McCann? How do you handle that if everyone's healthy and, more importantly, everyone's hitting? Because right now, everyone's hitting, and Carnacion's hitting. So your DH spot, Abreu's hitting. You can't shuffle guys around there and just say, oh, just put Grandal at the DH because what are you going to do? I know you could probably have a situation where maybe you have Encarnacion off the bench late in the game, Coming up against uh, some some high velocity guys, you know, a uh, right-handed pitcher or lefty. So I don't know what you do there, but what are you doing if you're Ricky Renteria and we're in a situation like that that I just laid out, where it's a must-win game and you you want to make sure you have lineup optimization, but you also want to make sure your starting pitcher is comfortable. What do you do in that situation? It's a really tough situation, and I've been going back and forth because before this, I was a you pitch to whoever the hell is behind the plate, especially if that whoever the hell is behind the plate is your big-time free agent pickup and a guy who can catch well and can handle himself with the bat. 
But James McCann and Lucas Giolito's relationship, sometimes you just got to throw logic out there. And James McCann's not a bad hitter. He's been much better than what Yasmani Grandal has brought to the table. This is the only problem. James McCann's a right-handed hitter. Yasmani gives you bats from both sides. I think largely it depends on who you're facing then. That start that you're talking about, that second start of the year, Lucas Giolito versus the Cleveland Indians, where McCann uh, was on the bench and Yasmani Grandal started for him and he pitched well. They have a bunch of right-handed hitters. I mean, right-handed pitchers on the Cleveland Indians. So I would say if it's a bunch of right-handed pitchers and you're going to go against either Carrasco or they're not bringing Clevenger back uh, or some guy on the Indians who's a right-handed pitcher, you got to go with uh, Yasmani Grandal there. I know that James is not bad versus right-handers, but I want to see my free agent pickup go against they're right-handed hitters, and he knows them. He understands what they're doing uh, to him as he as a catcher in this league. I uh, would want Lucas to feel as comfortable as he wants to. Uh, see, it's just so hard. <laughs> I'm just like going back and yeah. forth. I'm like, God damn it, he should feel as comfortable as he wants to, but also James McCann more than likely will not be here next year. Yeah. So it, we need to like transition him off of his like wean him off of his beak his blanky. Like binky, he, yeah. he loves his he loves his uh James McCann binky. And how could you not? You love James McCann. Handsome guy, does a great job back there, hits in in, in sporadic playing time. So what do you think? Well, I, I'm just I, I have no real good answer. I try to come up with the answer on the fly and it's still hurting. I don't know which one I'm gonna start. If I had to flip a coin, it would be Grandal. Yeah, well, it's imperative that they figure it out before that time comes. And you got some time here with Grandal being hurt, but they have to figure this out. They have to to get over that mental block. Like you know, I don't know. I don't know if I want to call it a mental block because we've seen Lucas Giolito pitch well with with Grandal back there. But we have to to battle through this urban legend that he can that he has his best success with McCann. All, all it takes is for one outing. Uh, with Grandal to be like, okay, you know what? I'm, maybe I'm putting a little too much stock in this. And also, you know, Lucas Giolito is not John Lester coming over here with world championships and Cy Young's uh, on the wall. You know, like he's still a young pitcher and he's just going to have to deal with it for now. Like you said, McCann probably not here next year. Maybe they get lucky and, you know, backup catchers, you know, maybe the people are not throwing money around to bring a backup catcher on board and to have them start. But maybe they, they do retain him and we'll, we'll go from there. But Lucas is going to have to figure it out because their best lineup is with Yasmani Grandal catching, hitting from the left side because we know we already know what he, what he does behind the plate. I mentioned it earlier. But also the at-bats he gives you. And, and I'm not trying to say McCann doesn't give you great at-bats during the game. But we know when Yasmani's right, the, the long, lengthy at-bats, the things that he sees other pitchers do that he can share with, with the rest of the guys in the lineup, uh, you know, letting guys behind him on, in the on-deck circle see more pitches. And, again, it's, a, it's one of those good problems, right, that we talk about all the time. Mm-hmm. But Lucas is going to have to figure it out, man, because this is why Yasmani Grandal is here. That's why they paid him $73 million to come here because he is an, a critical part of this team, and Lucas is going to have to deal with it, man. And even Renneria said in the postgame show, right, he said, 
basically, you know, trying to, to summarize what he said, but, you know, we're not in a position now where Lucas can be, afford a, in a personal catcher situation, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you heard it right there. They're going to try to make it work. You know, they've got some time here, and luckily they, they've got some bums coming up on the schedule, the, the weekend series ex- excluded, but they got time to figure it out, and hopefully, above all, you just want Yasmine to be healthy. And and if that means not having him catch for a while, maybe have him DH for a little bit just to get the bat in the lineup, um, that's cool because as far as Encarnacion goes, I'm cool with just having him just don't get hurt. You know, if we need you for the stretch run, so if they want to give him sparing at bats, if Encarnacion is cool with that, then that gives you a little more flexibility to figure out and kind of get in the groove there. But it's something that it's definitely going to be something to watch for later on as we get closer and closer to the postseason it feels good to say that we have a postseason problem potentially so uh looking forward to whatever the outcome is and i'm looking forward to to it being a heated debate at the time and speaking of the postseason the white Sox are closer to the top of the american league than they are to the guy who is behind them they're in seventh position right now and the eighth position is at 500 right now it's the baltimore orioles 12 and 12 White Sox. That thing's falling apart a little bit too, the Orioles thing. So, you know, I take that with a grain of salt, but that's even better for the White Sox going forward. Yeah, so they're only two and a half games away from the best record in the American League, which is the Oakland A's right now at 17 and 8, and the White Sox are 15 and 11. So, yeah, they're a good team, and they need to overtake Cleveland, which they're only a game behind them, so they can get in that comfortable second spot. So they don't have to play that play-in game where it's three games to see if you're going to go to the next round. That's what you want, the sweet, sweet nectar of second place, where Jerry Reinsdorf wants to be that second place Every year. Oh, I love it so much. Then why didn't you finish in second more often? Um, But, again, it's lineup optimization. You have a thin margin for error here when you talk about getting in and not getting in. So it's important to have your best guys out there every day. So we'll have to wait and see how this one unfolds. And uh, I'm looking forward to it being a big, big, heated discussion topic. Uh, that means the Sox are in a, a good position at the end of the year. Do you know what the worst thing about beating Detroit, sweeping them for nothing. four games straight? <laughs> nothing. There's nothing bad about it. Oh, no. There's only three more games versus Detroit in the rest of the yeah, year. Yeah, but they do have a, a steady diet of Kansas City, of the Pirates. Uh, so, you know, this this is an important stretch here. It's an important test this weekend against the Cubs, and we'll preview that in just a second. But... You've got to win these games against the Royals who all of a sudden, like, you know, they, they can beat the Twins, but the Stocks can't. It's just that's baseball for you. They got to beat the Royals. They got to beat the Pirates because you have you want to pad this, uh, get, as, get as above 500 as many games as you can before you run into this buzzsaw at the end of the year. You want to have a little room for error, a little wiggle room here. So they have to handle business. Don't get complacent right now if you're a White Sox fan. It's important that they continue to to to, to buzz through some of this soft part of their schedule because if that's what's going to be the reason why they get in is because they beat the teams that are below them in the standing. So we just keep an eye on that. As we look ahead here, it's they're in the soft spot, but it doesn't get easier after that. So Cubs series, I'm very nervous about it, only because now for the first time in 12 years, both teams are good. Both teams are on a playoff trajectory, and I'm nervous about the Cubs have a very good pitching rotation situation going into the weekend series. They've got John Lester going Friday, Kyle Hendricks going Saturday, and Yu Darvish going Sunday. As far as the White Sox, I've seen a couple different variations, but we know Dallas Keuchel's going tomorrow. We know that's going to be true. So let's just start with Friday because I think we're going to do 
a recap with our Locked on Cubs uh, sister podcast on Sunday and kind of recap what the what the Cubs Sox series was like. But let's just get into Friday first. The Keiko versus Lester matchup. That's I'm looking forward to that one. Like that one should be good. That one should be a quick game. Lots of contact. John Lester's peripherals. Still, I'm wondering, I'm waiting for him to come back down to earth a little bit because his bad bip is is extraordinarily low. And I don't know how he's gotten better this year compared to last year. And we, we for you know, fans of the Cubs have said, Oh, we've seen the last of John Lester, last of good John Lester already. Like they they they've already said that was a thing that okay, that's done. Whatever you get from him is a bonus, but he's turned into their best pitcher. Uh, I mean, you could toss it up him, him and you, Darvish. But Lester and Keuchel tomorrow, that should be a good game, but I'm still nervous about the series in general. Yeah, Lester has a correction coming his way because ZRA is in the mid-twos while his FIP is up in the mid-fours. So a correction eventually will come up, and I'm saying that is the best opportunity for the White Sox to grab a victory this weekend. If we're looking at their pitchers, I would say one is Darvish, 1A is Hendricks, and then Lester is their third-best starter, but, like I said, there's a correction coming. He's pitching well, and I'll put those in quotes, but I don't think he's seen a lineup like the White Sox are going to be featuring tomorrow when they go to Wrigley. I'm looking forward to Dallas Keiko dominating the Cubs. He's been inducing soft contact the whole time. Ground balls is his game, and with the White Sox improved defense, including Jose Abreu, who's been playing at a gold glove level, I'm looking forward to them just grounding the ball to the left side of the infield and getting these easy contact outs, and then we crushing John Lester. I'm not looking forward to the Sunday game uh, or the Saturday game. because Whatever they decide to do. We know C's is going in one of those games, and that in itself, like I worry about that for Dylan because you know he's going to be he's going to be amped up out there going against the Cubs in Wrigley. You know, I, he's still a young pitcher. I'm not expecting a whole lot from from Dylan that that game, but it's still going to be a fun storyline to watch, and especially going up against. I worry about this lineup against Hendricks about the Sox lineup. Yes. Yeah, like for sure. So that like that's why I'm nervous about the whole series. And Darvis, you you never know who you're going to get on any given night. So he could be all over the place. Like you know, you can get him early, or he could just be dominant, pinpoint controlled. You know stuff darting all over the place against a uh, a home run hitting lineup like the Sox like it could be a problem but first things first they, hopefully they can secure Friday's win yeah and Hendricks at home is a different beast than he is on the road he is dominant he's killing uh since last year where he pl- when he plays at Wrigley and yeah Darvish we got him when it was the practice game that grand slam by Eloy put five runs in the first inning hopefully a repeat of that because he looked filthy the other day versus the, the the St. Louis Cardinals while he was going slow as hell. He was doing his thing, and, and that's his thing now. He wants to go at his own tempo. Luckily for the for the Sox, they get to relax and see what the 11 pitches he's going to feature. They're all fastballs, guys. Come on, just calm down. <laughs> Don't hit the one that's going to hit the ground. Lay off that one. If it's above your knees, and I mean it's above your uh, waist, swing away. But below your waist, don't even swing at it. It's going to go low. Absolutely. Should be a fun series this weekend at Wrigley. We'll recap all of it on Sunday. Uh, I think this is our last pod until Sunday, until we until that game is over with. And hopefully we're looking at uh, White Sox taking two out of three at least to sort of maintain this pace they're on right now. But I'll just, I just I want to cap by saying this. So, you know, three years ago, when the White Sox had guys like, you know, they had the, the three Garcia outfield Ugh. and they're trotting out guys like Reimer Liriano, Ugh. Cody Ashey, Jacob May. 
<laughs> we were dreaming of days like this. We were watching the game together in the score studios and uh, along with a cast of thousands back here. But you have your division rival in town and you absolutely take them to pound town. And over the last decade, they've done that to you in the Victor Martinez, Miguel Cabrera era of the Tigers. It seems anecdotally anyway, they've owned the White Sox. So it was awesome that they can return the favor and you see this lineup of the of that the White Sox are rolling out there guys they either drafted traded for or developed it's just a beautiful thing to watch man and I think this team is only scratching the surface of, of what you saw today that was just that was just fun man yeah I think they're nine and one versus Kansas City and Detroit which is what you got to do you got to eat versus these bums we spoke about it before the season started even when the White Sox were good and the Royals were bad. It seemed like the Royals were always giving the White Sox all they can handle. This year, the that's Minnesota versus the Royals. Let that happen. White Sox need to eat versus the Tigers. They got three more games versus them. Eat. And they have about, let's see, seven more games versus the Royals. Got to eat. Pittsburgh's coming up next week. Got to eat. And series versus the Cubs. Are gonna be tough. Series versus the Twins are gonna be tough. Indians tough. You just gotta like maintain like a five hundred record versus those guys. If I think this series get- is important because if they do well against the Cubs, then maybe that builds up the confidence going into the Twin series. Because I feel like right now they probably feel like the Twins got their number. Just, just oh yeah, yeah. So if they can take two or three against a good team like the Cubs, best team in baseball, I believe still. No, I not think- close. Not anymore. <laughs> they they lost. The Cardinals took them. Oh, down that's, a peg. that's right. And, they, the, and the Brewer. They did play thirty games in three days. So that that, <laughs> that that'll happen. Uh, but yeah, it's big weekend, man. Sorry, sorry to cut you off. No, there, no, but no. Yeah. It made sense. They they're. Like, remember, we came in all puffy chests. Like, man, fuck the Twins. The twins ate shit. And we the did. Twins were like, yes, we are. We're still <laughs> the best. And they beat the hell out of the White Sox. And it, I think it took a little wind out of the White Sox sails. And then realized that, yeah, we are kind of good. We're winning these games on the road. We're uh, good teams win on the road. And now, finally, these four wins at home, the home record looks a little bit more respectable from what it was before. So I miss yeah. being out there, man. Last night watching it, I, we didn't mention it last night on the podcast, but uh-huh. certainly today, just I miss being out there, man. Going out there with you and seeing people and the sun, you know, they're hitting home runs all over the place and you're having beers and you're like, oh, there's another one. Like, Oh, it just sucks that they, they, we can't be out there watching them, man, because this team is so much fun. After the game today, they all got the hats backwards, and, yeah. and, and like they're losing buttons. Every game they win, a button is lost on, on the jerseys of guys like Abreu and Eloy and Moncada. They're getting they're getting swaggier and drippier every, every game that passes by, man. I mean, technically, <laughs> if you want to spend $400, you can be on a Wrigley rooftop well, this weekend yeah. and watch the White Sox beat the Cubs. I mean, I wouldn't spend that shit. I, even if the White Sox were in the World Series, versus the Cubs, <laughs> I wouldn't pay that much. Fuck that shit. I'll watch that shit from my house. Yeah, probably a better view from your house than on the rooftop as far as I'm oh, concerned. Oh, they're terrible. Because you, know, you know you're just watching up there on a the monitor anyway, but that's all I got. Start your morning with the news that matters in just 10 minutes. Axios Today host Nyla Boodoo and a team of award-winning journalists will bring you the latest analysis and insight into the trends shaping our world. Sox winners tonight, 9 to nothing. 9 times. Sweeping the Tigers, always good. First time in 15 years. Man, and uh, the Sox improved their record on the season to 15 and 11, 90% shot at making the playoffs as of right now, courtesy of fan graphs with that stat. So that's all I got tonight. We'll talk to you guys on Sunday, but how can they get a hold of us uh, for the mailbag? Locked on socks at gmail.com is the email you send to us. Locked on socks at gmail.com. Questions, comments, whatever you want to talk about. Doesn't have to be White Sox baseball or baseball in general. If you got something goofy you want to talk about, goofy. We'll, we'll read it. 
It might not make the air, but we'll read it. Definitely, we read all the emails that come into lockedonsocks at gmail.com. Follow us there at lockedonsocks on Twitter and on Instagram. Chris Tannehill is at Chris Tannehill. Me, Herb Lawrence, at Ecknerwall23. You can follow me on Twitter there. So for Chris Tannehill, I am Herb Lawrence. Nine to nothing was the score of a White Sox winner. They're fifth in a row on Locked On Socks.